oversimplify who they are and, uh, and make these assumptions about individuals. But the second part of our definition of stereotype is a positive side, and we've been trying to focus on that in our series. It says that it's a relief printing plate made from the original. This next picture, go ahead. This is a copy of the Declaration of Independence, and it's so much more clear than the real one. You can't read it anymore, but thank God for copies. On the right side is a, a stereotype. This is a bronze plate that they etched in exactly word for word and, and the exact design of the original so that they, continue, they can continue to make copies. If they didn't have a stereotype, if they didn't have this bronze plate, yeah, let's keep that one up. Uh, if they didn't have this, the original would have lost its power, it would have lost its meaning, it would have lost its ability to communicate exactly what the forefathers wanted to say. They have forever been immortalized, right, because of this stereotype, because of this printing plate that they have, <clears throat> and they've changed the world because of the words that they wrote and the ideas that they had. Uh, the foundation that they created for what has now become the most powerful nation on the planet. So think about that. You go to this newfound land, there's nothing established there. There's nothing determining how they're going to live and how they're gonna govern, and the forefathers get together they pray, they begin to write down what they think this more perfect union should involve and how we should be governed, and then it's immortalized and it changes the world, right? Look at the United States now and the power that we are in the world because of this and other documents like it. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 1, 1, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. What this scripture means is that God is reflected, or we see the image of God in the son who's Jesus Christ. What you have in the Declaration of Independence, we see an image of it, we see a reflection of it, we see a copy of it that's perfect, perfectly aligned with the original. What God's telling us is the image of God, the reflection of God, the perfect alignment of God the Father we see in Christ. Then it says this in Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have power. We see the image of God in the Son, Jesus Christ, and then God says, man, women and men are the image of God. We've been made in the same image and likeness of God, and he says he's also given us his power, his dominion, his authority. The same way that the forefathers have penned these words and created a very powerful nation, it cannot compare to even one man or woman of God who bears the image of God who's created in the image of God and been given the power and dominion that only God can grant. We look at the nation. You guys have heard me say it before that I feel like I appreciate what, what Mary had to say this morning about pastoring this church, but you've heard me say it before. I'd rather be the pastor of this church than the president of the United States. I feel like what we do is more, more important, eternally uh, uh, um, effective than what anybody else does or any other career, but it's another thing to feel that way and be standing in front of the White House. You know, we were standing out front taking our pictures and, and doing all that stuff a couple of days, and I thought the same thing. I'd rather be in Brea. I'd rather be in this house. I'd rather be talking to you guys. <clears throat> what God gives us and the image that we bear is so much more valuable. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you this morning. <clears throat> For the fathers, we thank you for the children. We thank you for the nation. We thank you for our forefathers, Lord. More than anything, though, we thank you that you are our Father in heaven. We thank you that we can bear your image, that you have given us authority. You've given us power, Lord God. You've given us access. We ask this morning that you would help us to see things differently, that our perspective would be changed, that we wouldn't just continue on as we did before coming to know you, Lord God. We wouldn't just continue on as those do that don't know you, Lord. Let today be a, a changing point, a redirecting of our lives, 
a furtherance of our understanding of who you are and what it means for you to be our Father, what you've called many of us to be as fathers here on earth. We love you this morning, and our prayer is that we would come to love you more over the next few minutes. We thank you and we love you through and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in this world, we have all had many experiences with our fathers. I want to commend all the good fathers just right off the bat. If you're here and you're a good father, thank God for you. If you're here and you had a good father, think about them, acknowledge them, and, and thank God for the good fathers. However, my experience has been that the majority of the stories that I know are not about good fathers and not about engaged fathers and not about faithful fathers and not about consistent fathers. It's I would say 70, 80%, 90% of the time, the story is different. They may be there physically, but not really a good father, or they may be non-existent. So as I thought about this message, these pictures became, uh, became to come to me, or began to come to me about different types of fathers, earthly fathers. I saw a father who doesn't see. Many of us have had those kind of fathers where the picture is that they're there, but they don't see you. It's as if they never like, lock eye contact with you. They never really see you. They never really see what's going on in your life. They never really see what's going on in your mind. They never really see what's going on emotionally within their children's lives. I saw another father who looks down on their children, and many of us have had that experience, right? Where you have the father that's just constantly looking down on you like you're never enough. You're never good enough. You never accomplish enough. You've never made them proud. They just consistently look down on you. And many of us have experienced that. Saw another picture of a father who looks away and how damaging that can be for us, right? Coming to your father, expecting to be seen, expecting to be acknowledged. And it's one thing for them to see you and acknowledge you, and then the response is a turning away from you, as if they don't even want to see you, as if they can't stand to look at you. And I think many of us have, have experienced that. I saw another picture of a father who said that they'd be there, but they weren't. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at that graduation. I'm going to be there to pick you up. I'm going to be at that game. I'm going to be there with some financial support for you that you need. I'm going to be there for, to do whatever it is that they said that they were going to do, and they just weren't. Time and time again, we would get our hopes up. Time and time again, our expectations uh, would, would not be met because they just weren't there. I remember what it was like for me. Uh, my father ended up being incarcerated from the time I went into high school to the time I got out of high school. And uh, there were a lot of times where I just needed him to be there and he physically was not there. There was no relationship, there was no connection. There were a lot of things that changed in that age group. You know, when you first become a teenager to the time you get out of high school, for me, I was, I was gonna be headed off to college and uh, he just wasn't there. I had another picture of a father who we believed would return, but they never did. Many of us have had that experience where we know they're gone, we've acknowledged that they're gone, and we even ex have accepted why they have to be gone, but we have this hope that they're going to return. Oh, it's going to be next month, it's going to be next year, or whenever they get out, or whatever the case may be, you expect this return, and many of us have gone through our lives and have realized that they never came back. They never really returned. They never really engaged. You know, my story with, with my dad, you know, he ended up getting saved, and him and I are closer now than we, we've ever been in our lives. And I remember when he first came back, I think he made it to my high school graduation. And it was, it was strange, but we always kiss each other when we see each other. I'll come up to him, I'll hug him, and I'll kiss him. You know, and, and it's not like my, my culture with my, with my in-laws in the, in, the, uh, in the Arab world, they always kiss each other, right cheek, left cheeks, just all this kissing. And I'm just part of the family, so I just kiss all these Egyptian men and women all the time, right? But with my dad, it was different. I was 18 years old. I hadn't seen him in so long, and I just embraced him, and I gave him a kiss. And now every single time we see each other, which is not cultural for us, but I kiss him because there was this, it was missing, and there was this, we want to love each other. We want to be with each other. But I think a lot of us have experienced where we thought they'd return, and they never did. Had another picture of an abusive father, right? Father that's constantly yelling, constantly hitting, constantly uh, 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 pinning you down or putting you into a box, both physically, mentally, emotionally, right? And the last one, uh, a father that, a picture of a father that failed to protect and failed to provide. 
There are fathers who put their children out there and expose them to things that they shouldn't expose them to and allow them to do things that they shouldn't be allowed to do, right? That don't protect them, that don't provide for them, don't do the things that a father is supposed to do. And as I saw all these pictures just come flooding in of my experience, things that I witnessed and things that I, I know have taken place in the lives of others, I began to think about the effects that these fathers have on their children. It can be as far-reaching as the effects that our forefathers have with just the document that they created. Look at how far-reaching a document that our forefathers came together, that they created, that they established, and now it affects 240 years later, it affects everybody in this country and it affects the whole world. And I thought about the effects of a father, good or bad, how far-reaching those things go, how deep some of our scars really run how it's changed and shaped us into the people that we've become now. And for many of us, it's changed and shaped us into the fathers and the mothers that we've become now. So I know that's a lot of imagery and that's a lot of pictures painted. And even though we've started here, I really don't want to focus on us as fathers. Like Mary said, I want to boast about the one to whom we call out and cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. When we started the series on stereotypes, we said, look, if we tried to just go around this room and talk about all the ways we've been stereotyped, we'll, not, we'll never get anywhere. But let's focus on reclaiming these printing plates that God says, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a father. Likewise, this morning, we're not going to look at all the problems with the fathers. We're going to look at the prototype. We're going to look at the stereotype. We're going to look at our father in heaven. This father in heaven changes everything. Our father in heaven will amplify the successes of your fathers, your earthly fathers, anything that they did right, anything that they did good, anytime they actually came back, anytime that they were able to show love and consistency, whatever it is, when you come to know your father in heaven, those experiences will be amplified, right? But the experiences where they failed, right, those things, our father in heaven will diminish and just consume in his perfectness, in his love, in who he is, any area where we've experienced failures from our fathers will be consumed in the love and perfection of our father in heaven, if you allow him to do that. There is no excuse to be forever scarred. There is no excuse to be forever hurt. There is no excuse to not become what God would have you to become as a man or woman because of the failures of others. So as Christians, we are all unique, but we all have the same father. Say amen. amen. We're all different. Thank God for that. But we have the same father. We say that we love our children differently because they're different, right? Most of us say that. You know what? I love all my kids, but I just love them differently because they're different. I can't love them the same. I can't treat them the same uh, because they're just not the same. You know what the reality is? Don't let the kids listen to this. <laughs> but the reality is we like our children differently <laughs> because they're gratifying to us in different ways and in different degrees. Let me say that again. We say, oh, we love them all. We just love them so much and we love them all the same. The reality is we like them differently. And it's, it's sad to say this. I really want you to receive this, though, and, and pray about it because it's something I'm obviously praying through myself. But I like them differently because they're gratifying to me in different ways and in different degrees. It's easy as an athlete to like Nate because he's so athletic. It's just easy for me to like that and to, to gravitate towards that and to acknowledge that and to praise that and to encourage that because of who I am as a man and as a person. I love all my children with all I have, but my ability to show that love is highly dependent upon their behavior and who I am as a person. Listen to that. And just think about what that means for your children and think about what that means for you as a child. I love all my children, Nate, Naomi, and Niall, with everything that I have, but I am limited in my ability to show that love by their behavior. If one of them's really good, I can show them how much I love them and reward their goodness. If one of them's really bad, my nature won't help 
but treat them in a way that shows my disappointment. I'm limited by who I am and the way that I think and what I want and what's gratifying to me and what I enjoy. That's just what it means to be human. And think about the effect that that can have on a child. Here's the thing about our Father in heaven. He truly loves each and every one of us infinitely, right? We say with all we have, right? So if we're broken, we don't have much love to give, we still love with all we have, but it just ain't much. God is not broken. He has infinite love, and he loves every single one of us infinitely with all that he has. It's unwavering love, right? It doesn't change because of how you act or what you do. And because of who he is, he's capable of showing that infinite love to every single one of us. Think about that. I'm limited because of who I am, and there's a certain way that I'm going to be able to show love to Nate and show love to Naomi and show love to Niall, not having anything to do with who they are, but because who I am, I'm limited. But with God, he's unlimited, which means he can love each and every one of us infinitely all the time. It's not like he likes some who are athletic, right, and it's easy to show that, and that he struggles with some who are into science, and it's hard for him to show that. He's not like us. He's not limited. He loves everything. He created everything. He knows each and every one of us. He's just as much in love with the bookworms as he is with the athletes. He's just as much in love with those who like art as he is with those who like war and, and spaceships and stuff. <laughs> Video games, whatever it is. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say to you? Like, if you think of God like an earthly father, you will be disappointed because you have limited the one who is limitless. So here's the thing. It's our uniqueness that determines how we experience his love, right? I said earlier that as Christians, we all have the same father, but we're all unique. We're all different. Your uniqueness will determine how you experience the love of God. What are you into? What do you like? How are you built? How do you think? How do you experience? Are you visual? Are you audio? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's unique about you? And when you realize what's unique about you, you will realize that you have a father who loves that uniqueness and will love you in those ways. If you like to be still, he'll come into your stillness. If you like to be crazy, he'll come and be crazy with you. Any of you remember having friends like that when you were, you know, it's like you needed somebody that was wild and crazy and wanted to go out and be wild and crazy. You had a friend that was wild and crazy. When you needed somebody to sit up and listen to slow jams and talk to you all night, you had a friend that sit up and listen to slow jams and talk to you all night, right? It's like that with your uniqueness as a child of God. God's like, oh, you're into slow jams. Let's sit down. Let me, let me have some slow jam time with you. And we, we struggle because once we've been able to find God in our uniqueness, some of us like to put God into that box and say, well, then you should find him like this. And you should experience him like this. And if you're not doing it like this, then you must not really be encountering the love of God. You've limited who God is. Our Father is so amazing. So your uniqueness determines how you're going to experience his love. So think about who you are. Remember that that's who he made you to be. And expect him to love you and minister to and meet you in those ways, right? But here's the thing. It's our obedience and our understanding of who God is that will determine how much of his love you'll be able to receive and experience. I hope you can see the difference in the two, right? Your uniqueness will be the way that God will minister to you and show his love to you, but your obedience and understanding of who he is will determine how much of that love you actually get to receive and experience, right? Because you could be one of those people who, who loves slow jams, right? And that's how you expect God to meet you. But if you're not obedient to what he says about communing with him and sitting with him and listening to music with him and what kind of music he wants to listen to and when he wants to listen to it and how he wants to listen to it, if you will not be obedient and you will not seek him in his word to understand who he is as your father, it doesn't matter that you're unique and that's what you like. You'll never receive or experience the love. It's available to you, but you don't know your father. 
There are a lot of people who, number one, don't know that they're unique and God loves that uniqueness, but then there's a whole bunch of other people who know that they're unique, but they will not seek the Father for how he wants to love them in their uniqueness. So they say, my father is not here. My father is not attentive. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He won't talk to me. He won't engage me. He won't let me experience his love. But the reality is you have to be obedient and you have to come to know who he is. We see it in our home. Our kids know who their father is and they know what to ask me for and they know when to ask me for it because they know me, right? Do you know your father? Do you know what to ask for, when to ask for it? what he likes and what he doesn't like. I was kind of challenged this morning. Uh, got out of the shower, my kids had set up my, my, uh, my uh, Father's Day gifts, and, and it was interesting what they gave me. On, on the bed, uh, they had given me some of their toys. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thought that came into my mind is like, dang, do I just take from my kids? They're like, look, Dad, you know you want our stuff, just take it. Then they had given me money. Nate gave me $5, Naomi gave me a dollar, and Niall gave me a, a dollar. I was like, dang, am I, am I like, am I money hungry? They, they, my kids think what their father wants for, for Father's Day is their money. I was like, dang, that, that shows me what they're thinking. And then to top it all off, Nate gave me an eight and a half by 11 card that had a self-portrait of me on the front of it. I was like, come on. So I'm asking you, do you know your father? But as a father, I'm like, do I know myself? I'm money hungry, I want to take from my kids, and it's all about me. <laughs> but think about that. Think about that. That shows me to a certain degree. I love my kids. I know that they love me, right? I like some of them more. Just kidding. <laughs> but it showed me this morning, like, that's what I'm projecting. That's what I'm teaching them. That's what I'm showing them. Right? By the way that, that I'm behaving. In, in, in retrospect, when they want something from me, though, they know how to get it. They know how to ask. And I wonder, how do you see your father? Do you see him as vain? Do you see him as oppressive? Do you see him as more focused on himself than he's focused on you? Do you see him as withholding or liberal? Do you see him as protecting or exposing you? It's Father's Day. What'd you give him this morning? Did you give him your time? Did you give him some prayer? Did you give him some tithe and offering? Did you give him some of your, of your heart? How do you see him this morning? Your obedience and your understanding, that's going to determine how much of his love you're able to actually experience. It doesn't determine how much he loves you. It's infinite. It's all yours. <laughs> More than you could ever want, more than you could ever handle, it's yours, but your ability to actually grasp it, obtain it, experience it, it comes through obedience and knowledge about him. So what we have, as an example, is a big brother, and he's shown us how much we're loved by our father. John 17, says, Jesus is talking, Jesus the Son is talking to God the Father. He says, the glory which you gave me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. Are you watching what he's, what he's saying here? Listen to this. <laughs> that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, say Father. Father. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is saying to us that we are loved infinitely, and he wants us to be in a place where we can know that. He's talking to the Father, and he says, Father, the same thing that we have, I want us to have, and I want them to know that what they have is exactly the same as what we have. They've got to know it, Lord. They've got to see it. They've got to be able to understand it. So Jesus says, not only has he shown us how much we're loved, right, by the Father, he's also shown us the pinnacle 
of how to experience that love, right? It's one thing for somebody to tell you, this is how much you're loved. The same amount that God the Father loves God the Son, that's how much God the Father loves you, his additional sons and daughters. It's one thing for somebody to tell you that and try to get you to understand it. It's another thing when Jesus says, now I'm going to show you what it's like to actually experience that love. I want you to see what it's like to walk in it, to receive it, to love it. He says, this is what you should all be striving for. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That means it's all going to work out good for you if you love God. You've been called by God. It doesn't matter what goes on in your life. It's going to be good for you. Many of us know that scripture. We stand on that scripture. When things are going rough, things are going bad, we say, it's okay. It's going to work out for good because I love God and I've been called by God. But verse, 25, verse 29, Romans 8, 29 says, for whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's not just that things are going to work out good for you. It's not just that your situation is going to turn around and what looked like a terrible thing is going to become a good thing. What God is actually saying is that, just like that printing plate where you bear the same image of the original document, it says that you have been predestined, chosen before time, to bear the same image of God the Son, and that that makes you the second or third or 50 millionth born after the firstborn. He is the Son of God. He's the firstborn. You are part of that family. You bear the same image. You can experience the same love. When we look at Jesus as the example, there were a lot of bad things that worked out for good. He got nailed to a cross, but look at the good that's come of that. As a son of God, that doesn't mean that God didn't love him. It just meant that, hey, there were going to be some difficult things in your childhood. Your father was going to be there, but there were going to be some experiences that were going to be tough for you. And Jesus says, you can experience that same thing. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. There will be some difficult things, but that has nothing to do with how much God loves you everything to do with what he's doing in the lives of all of his sons and his daughters. Amen. Our big brother, Jesus, he's not our father's favorite in the same sense that some of us have favorites or some of us know who the favorite is. How many of you, close your eyes, because you, you might be in the same room with them. Close your eyes. Raise your hand if you know who your parents' favorite is. All right, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you think you're the favorite. <laughs> All right, put your hands down. So listen, you can open your eyes now. It would be easy to think when I tell you that Jesus is the firstborn, he's the first among many brethren, that of course he's the father's favorite, right? That's only because that's how we think and that's how our lives are. And we know who the favorite is and we know why they're the favorite. That's not how it is with our father in heaven. Jesus is not like us. Not only is God not saying that Jesus is my favorite and here's why, because he's good and you guys are bad and you suck and I've always loved him more than you anyway. That's not what he says. But think about this. As our big brother, he's the perfect big brother. Many of us have good siblings. Some of us have bad siblings. But even the good ones are not like Jesus as a big brother. Many of our siblings want to see us succeed, and we get past that age of like where it's all tension and all me versus you and what you got and what I didn't get and why you're like, Jesus is not like that. He loves you in the most perfect way that a big brother could ever love a little brother or a little sister this morning. All about you. How can he help you? How can he get the father to bless you and stop blessing him? How can he get the father to see how valuable you are? How can he get the father to just rain down and pour out blessings in your life? He's flawless. He's the perfect big brother. This is what it says about Jesus in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith is substance, or excuse me, evidence and substance. One of my favorite scriptures, because number one, we know it's talking about Jesus. Now faith, Jesus is faith. To have Christ is to have faith. He is both evidence and substance. Everything that, that uh, uh, we hoped would happen, he's the substance of it. A physical person that came and said, I'll deal with sin for you. He's the evidence that we have a father in heaven that loves us, that he would send his son to die for us. That's evidence of how much God loves us, right? 
I know that I'm loved by my Father in heaven because the evidence has made me a believer. There's enough evidence in the word of God. There's enough evidence in the preaching that I've heard. There's enough evidence uh, for me to believe that God loves me. I have a father in heaven who loves me and I know it. Why do I know it? Because the evidence proves that it's true. What about the substance? I ask you, do you know the love of the father in substance this morning? Are you convinced of the evidence? He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. You matter. He knows you're broken. He knows your past life. He knows what happened to you with your parents and your father. He knows your addiction. He knows all that. He still loves you. He still ministers to you. He changes our hearts, right? We know that. We understand that, and there's evidence to prove it. The question I have, though, is on the substance side. Jesus came as a substance, as something physical and tangible that you could touch. When it comes to the love of the Father in heaven, do you know that love in substance this morning? I know that water is wet from visual evidence. I didn't plant this. It was just here. Thank you. There's visual, visual evidence, right? Is that wet? How do you know? You saw it? There's enough visual evidence from past experiences that, that you know that that's wet? What about the experiences of others can prove something too, right? Is that wet? Look at him. He had to wipe it. He's moving it. So we can believe none of you, only, only RJ, not even me, the only one that knows that that water is wet is RJ. But we believe it. We believe the evidence. We watched him wipe it. We watched it fall. We saw the liquid. We believe that to be true because of the evidence and what we know in our minds, right? How many of us know that the experience of going swimming is something altogether different, though, right? Jumping into a pool of water where it doesn't matter what you heard, it doesn't matter what you saw, when you're in there and you're consumed and you're baptized completely submerged in water, that's a whole nother experience of the wetness of water. This morning, I wanna go swimming in the substance of the love of my Father in heaven. I don't wanna just know about it. I don't wanna just talk about it. I don't want it to be wiped off. <laughs> I want to be asked for more. Does that make sense? How civilized we are. Oh, that's great. I heard it's wet, and we should tell everybody about the wetness, and you should come to our church, and we'll sprinkle you. And it's so good because the water comes from God, and we can't live without water, and, and we just need it. Does your mind receive it? Does your mind receive it? Yes, it does. Well, praise God. Let's go tell other people. No, let's go swimming. Let's go swimming in the love of God. Let's really be immersed in it. Let's have it consume us to the point where you don't have to tell anybody. If somebody were to walk in here right now in board shorts and dripping wet, they wouldn't have to say a word. We'd all know that they came from some water. We'd all know that they were submerged. So how do we enjoy the Father on Father's Day? Because that's what it's really about. It's Father's Day. We have a Father in heaven. How do we enjoy him? Ephesians 2.17 says, speaking of Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, say through him. Amen. Through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We pray to God the Father through Jesus the Son, Right? He gives us access to the Father. He makes us no longer foreigners or afar off. He brings us close. He makes us citizens. It says that we are part of the household of God. If you have not submitted your life to Christ, if he is not the, uh, the apple of your eye, the focus of your heart, everything that you pursue is not Christ, then you can't even begin to talk about the love of the Father because you can't get to him. You're not part of the family. You're not allowed in the house. You're still a foreigner and you're still afar off. We have to start with Christ. We have to end with Christ. We come through Christ to the Father. How could you not love Jesus who brings you into the household of the Father? 
How could you not love Jesus who shows you how unique you are and how loved you are and then shows you how to receive the love of the Father and how to live in his house? That's the difference when we talk about wanting to be saved, to have a savior, or wanting to be saved and submitted to one as your Lord. I can be saved by just acknowledging who Jesus is and what he did for me and repenting of my sins, but I can never know the love of the Father without making him Lord and asking him, Lord, how am I unique? How can I do away with the things that are uniquely sinful and embrace the things that are uniquely beautiful that you've given me? Lord, how can I approach the Father? More likely, hey, big bro, you are, you're always with dad. Matter of fact, the two of you are one. He loves you. He gives you everything you want. How can I approach him? How should I ask? When should I go? How should I go? Amen. What should I ask for? You know the scriptures, what Jesus says to us? He says, you have not because you ask not. Or when you ask, you ask amiss. Yep. Right? He's saying, anything you ask in my name, dad will give you. Well, then what should I be asking for? How do I ask in your name? You have to make him Lord in order for him to show you those things. And we wonder why we don't know the love of the Father and none of us are swimming. And at best, every now and then we get a little sprinkle. Jesus is not just the example of how to live on the other side of that door in the presence of God and in the house of God and receiving the love of God. He is the door, yeah. right? Like, you can't go there without coming through him. You got to love him. You got to know him. It's hard to love our siblings here, but I'm telling you, if you ever wanted a big brother that you could love, man, you got one. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Jesus says, if you believe in him, if you give your life to him, if you seek him, if you make him Savior and Lord, he gives you the right to be, become a child of God. An actual child of God. You can't, you can't even begin to think about experiencing the love of God without all your trust and faith and hope in Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ unto himself. I was talking to somebody recently about uh, adoption, and the context was not like going and adopting a child. We were talking about church, and we were talking about pastoral relationships, and we were talking about fellowship or organizational relationships, and we started talking about adoption. These are the points that I made to this person, this group of people that, that we were talking to about this process of adoption and family and relationship and, and the names that are on buildings and, and how you relate to those who are around you and even above you in the faith. I said that here are some of the keys to adoption. You can't just say you've been adopted, right? Number one, I said that you're told that you've been adopted and you can't just claim it. Imagine a child coming to, to somebody and say, hey, you adopted me. <laughs> That's not how it works. It don't matter that you wanted to be adopted. It don't matter that you know where they live. They tell you that you've been adopted. No matter how bad you want to be adopted, somebody has to actually come to you and say, we want to adopt you. We want to embrace you. We want you to come into our home. We want you to be part of our family. We choose you. Right? If that doesn't happen, you haven't been adopted. <laughs> I said that adopting parents make it a point to consistently proclaim their love to those that they've adopted because they know the scars of abandonment, abandonment and fatherlessness run deep. You don't just adopt somebody and say, okay, you've been adopted and we're, and we're glad to have you. Let's, let's start running as a family. No, every single day you open your eyes, son, just want to know that we're here and we love you. You take a nap, the mom. Son, daughter, want you to know that we're here and we love you. They make it a point to go above and beyond to tell the child that's been adopted how much they're loved, how much they're cared for, because they want them to know it doesn't matter what happened to you in the past. We know that you were abandoned. 
We know that you're fatherless and motherless. We know that everything that you hoped you would have was stripped from you. We know that other people came and acted like they were going to adopt you, and they abandoned you too. So those who really adopt, they go above and beyond to proclaim the love that they have for that child. Another thing I said is that adopting parents teach their biological kids the sacrifices associated with adoption. They tell the kids that are already belonging to them and bio biologically have their DNA in their blood, and they say, listen, we are going to adopt, and it's going to be a cost to you. There are things that you used to have that you won't have anymore. There are things that we could give you, but we're not going to give them to you because there is restoration and healing that needs to come to this child that's coming part of our family. That, is not, that should not be a burden to you. That should not have you throw a temper tantrum. We need you to help us love your new brother. Help us love your new sister. Right? We want them to know as, as adoptive parents, what we're trying to tell them is, listen, number one, you need to understand that these new, this new child or these new children are just as important and valuable to us as you are. And we have to make sure they know that too. Because we all know the difference of being adopted and then being the redheaded stepchild, right? Or being in foster care, where they know you're only there temporarily. A real adoption should have these qualities associated with it. Listen to what the scripture just said about God when he adopts us. It says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You get the same treatment as Jesus. Every spiritual blessing, every ability, Jesus even said, you'll do greater things than I've done when I leave because you're going to get the same spirit that I have. You're going to have the same father that I have. You have the same inheritance that I have. Matter of fact, I'm going to that place to prepare a place for you. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies has been given to every son or daughter who's been adopted by God. But we act as if we're poor and naked and blind and worthless. But we have every spiritual blessing. It says that he chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You were chosen. You didn't come to God and say, please take me. He came and said, I want you. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I choose you. You're not the last of the litter. You're not whatever was left and I just wanted another child. No, I chose you. There were many to choose from and I know you by name and I called you out and I said, I want her. I want him. That's how we've been adopted. And it says that we were pre he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ unto himself. We were destined for this. We've been adopted as sons. We're not, uh, we're not just some kids that are in his house. We've been adopted. We've been chosen. It's our destiny. We're loved beyond compare as sons and daughters. So these are three things I want you to do. Especially, I think you should do them all the time, but especially on Father's Day. Number one, talk to your father in heaven. Talk to your father in heaven. When we got back late last night, Mary said, hey, let's just let the kids stay there with my parents and they'll get brought to church in the morning. It'll be fine. I said, nope, I don't care if they're asleep. I got to wake them up. I'm taking them home. You know why? Because I wanted to wake up this morning on Father's Day and talk to my kids. I didn't care what they wanted to say or how tired they were. I just wanted to hear them say stuff. You know, usually it's every other morning. It's like, get up, get in the shower, hurry up. We got to get to church. This morning they woke up. I was like over their beds. <laughs> Hi, guys. Good morning. Took them to Starbucks. What, what kind of sandwiches did we get them? Bacon Gouda sandwiches from Starbucks. <laughs> Ordinarily, it's instant oatmeal and <laughs> egg burritos I told you guys about. <laughs> but I just wanted to talk to them this morning. I wanted to make them happy. I wanted to hear them. I wanted to remember the joy of being a father. I asked me on the way home, you know, am I a good dad? Can I do better? What areas do I need to grow in? But imagine your father in heaven who's perfect and always wants you to be happy. And he's always good. Every day is bacon Gouda day. <laughs> Every day, every day when you wake up, he's literally right there at your bed, good morning. And imagine how a father feels when he's that, good morning, and you just act like he ain't even there, roll out of bed, no, I'm not going to pray, no, I'm not going to talk to you, keep your bacon gouda. And then on top of all that, halfway through my day, I'm going to throw my hands up and say, God doesn't care about me, God doesn't love me, he never gives me what I want. 
Talk to your Father in heaven. The only way to change that is to talk to him. To know who he is and to know how to approach him, to know what he wants and to know why he's come to you, to know why he chose you, to know about your uniqueness and how he wants to bless you through that uniqueness, to know about your struggle and how he's going to bring you through that struggle, how he's going to bless you and bless other people through your struggle, right? you got to actually talk to him. Isaiah 55, 10, talking about the words of God says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Water comes from heaven. Snow comes from heaven. It hits the ground. It doesn't stay in heaven. It says that it begins to cause the things of the earth to grow. And not only does it make things grow and make them beautiful, but it gives seed to the sower who can make more things grow when it's watered. And it gives bread to those who are hungry. He says, when I speak, that's what happens. He says, not only if you will talk to me, will I make you beautiful, I will put seed inside of you that will allow other things to grow. It'll feed the hungry. Right? And it'll accomplish what I say it's going to accomplish. Just talk to me. Just talk to me. Wake up and listen. Lord, Father, anything you want to talk about today? Anything you want to say today? You know what? Today I just want to tell you, son, I want to tell you, daughter, be strong. There are some things that are going to come against you, but remember who you are in me. Remember my humility and try to express that today. And watch what happens in your day when you've heard him say that to you and you do what he told you to do. Watch what grows in your life. Watch the hungry get fed. Watch the people look at your field and say how beautiful it is. And watch it accomplish what he said it was going to accomplish. You know what you'll do the next morning? When you wake up and he's there saying good morning, you'll say good morning. Good morning, Dad. It was funny. You start to care more about the giver than you care about the gift. I rarely am able to pick up my kids from school, but on the last day of school, I was just telling one of the brothers, last day of school, I made a point to to go into work late because I wanted to be there when they got out of school. And I said, you know what? I'm always praising my kids for athletics and different things that they do. I want to remind them how important school is and how important education is. In advance, I ordered some gifts from Amazon for them, had them, had them wrapped. So when they got out of school, it was half day, minimum day, 12, 12, 20 or whatever it is. Me and Mary, we're right there at the gate. All these other parents around, but all the parents are staring at us because we got gifts, (laughs) right? And I'm like, yeah, that's how we roll. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we got gifts. Y'all should have got gifts. And the kids come running out, and it was so funny because when they saw me and Mary, they didn't even notice the gifts. They just said, Dad, Dad, because they were so happy that I was there because I'm usually not there, right? And they came, they run, they jumped on me, they gave me a big hug, and then after they noticed me and they were, they were happy with me being there, then they said, hey, what's that? All these are brand new skateboards for you guys. Way to go in school this year. Way to be good kids. Way to be honoring. Way to help your classmates and your teachers. Way to live for Jesus. Way to get good grades. We're so proud of you. Every year when you get done with school, there'll be a gift for you and a blessing because we love you. They took those things as tired as we were. Like, baby, let's take them to the park. Let them ride them, right? Because ordinarily, we're like, all right, man, when we get home after nap time, maybe you guys can ride these things. But we took them and we, and we let them ride them. That's how it should be with us. When you begin to talk to your father and you begin to realize how excited you are that he's actually there, the gifts become secondary. They're cool and everything, but you're like, Dad, you're here. Dad, you're here. Talk to him. I want to encourage you. You got to talk to him. Number two, talk to your earthly father. Say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Talk to your earthly father. We talked about it earlier. Don't try to leave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm always giving Devin a hard time. Bless you, brother. He's like, man, I'm going to go call my dad right now. <laughs> dad. <laughs> Talk to your earthly father. We talked about it earlier. Many of us are scarred. It may be impossible for some of us to talk to our earthly fathers because maybe they passed on. Right? If they are alive, 
then all things are still possible. Talk to your earthly father. Here's what I believe about talking to your earthly father. It can spark something in their heart that can begin to lead them to the Lord if they don't know the Lord. There's something that the voice of your child does to you. Hearing that voice, experiencing some of the forgiveness that many of us have begun to experience with, with in Christ, uh, I just believe that it's important. I know people that have, talk, uh, have, have stayed away from talking to their father or their mother for years and for decades, and for what? The scars are deep, the pain is real, the experiences are, are uh, legitimate. However, it doesn't mean that you have to put yourself back in a position to be exposed to those things happening to you again. What it does mean is the voice of a child does something to the voice of a father, to the heart of a father. The same way that my father in heaven loves to hear me wake up and say, how you doing, Dad? Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Father. Help me, Dad. Right? To hear your voice means something. Listen to this. This is Judges chapter 6, verse 28. When the men of the city, this is the story of Gideon. We talked a little, a little bit last week. Gideon was the weakest in his father's house. His father's house was the weakest of all the house. God says, you're going to deliver the people and get us out of idolatry. Gideon does exactly what he's supposed to do. He tears down uh, these, these, uh, these idols of Baal, right? And everybody wakes up in the morning and the city is going crazy because of what Gideon did. But listen to what transpires with Gideon and his father. Judges 6.28, when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down. The wooden image was beside it, cut down. And a second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, his father, Bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he's cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. The connection I want to draw for us this morning is that Gideon, because of communication with his father, but ultimately because of his actions and honor for God, changed the life of Joash, his father. Joash was part of the leading, uh, uh, Joash was part of the idol worship in this community. He never stood up for anything or anybody. He was an idol worshiper. But because of the way his son was living and because of what his son did and because of that exposure with his father, all of a sudden his father stands up and says, you know what? No, I'm not going to deliver my son to you. I love my son. Second of all, I'm glad that my son is no longer willing to be an idol worshiper and instead he's going to worship the only real and living God. And matter of fact, if anybody else wants to worship this dead God who's not real, I hope that you die. You see what was sparked inside of his father because of him? What could be sparked in your father's life? Amen. By a phone call. You don't have to call him and start preaching, but just the spark of saying, hey, I was thinking about you. I wanted to tell you happy Father's Day. In the middle of July, hey, I was thinking about you. How are things going? I know we haven't talked in a while. Amen. As gut-wrenching and as hard as that may be for some of us, do it. And then fast forward a year from now, five years from now, when your dad is saved and talking to you about the things of God Amen. and apologizing to the things that they did or didn't do in your life and your upbringing and thanking you and saying, I can't believe I'm going to get to spend eternity in heaven with a father who loves me the way that I should have loved you. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for texting me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not being so scarred and showing me that God can heal your scars enough to even reach out to me. Amen. Talk to your earthly fathers, church. Amen. It's a testimony to, to what you've come to know about your heavenly father. It's not about you and it's not about them. It's about your heavenly father. And if you really know him because you've gone from your uniqueness into the presence of receiving his love, it won't be as hard as you think. Last one and we'll close. Find father figures in the faith that you can talk to. In the Bible, you see Samuel and Eli. He was a father figure to him in the faith to the point where Eli 
couldn't understand that God was trying to talk to him. He kept coming to Samuel. And because of that father figure relationship and communication, he was able to say, Eli, here's where you need to be. Here's what you need to say. And if you do it, you'll hear from God. And Eli began to hear from God because he had a father figure that he could talk to. Elijah and Elisha, same thing, father figure type relationship. And what did that produce for Elisha? He positioned him in a place where not only could he hear from God, but he was filled with the spirit of God and the power of God because of that father figure relationship and having somebody to talk to about the things of God and to lead him and to disciple him. On a little bit more of a difficult note, we see the same thing in King David's life. King David knew God, says that he was a man after God's own heart. But not only did he have that relationship with God, he had an earthly father figure that could speak into his life here on earth. 2 Samuel 12, 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. It grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. A traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd and prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. See, when you have a father figure, a spiritual father figure that you can talk to, they will open your eyes to see things that you otherwise could not see. David knew what was right, David knew what was wrong, but David was actually behaving in the wrong way. But if it wasn't for having a relationship with Nathan, a man that could speak into his life, he would have kept going in the direction that he was going. His life was changed and redirected, redirected here after this encounter with Nathan, and that's what we need. We need spiritual father figures to help us apply things to our lives that we so easily apply to others. Oh, this is what you should be doing, and this is how you should be doing it, and this is what's wrong with your life, and you need to get this, that, and the other right. But when it comes to you, who's speaking into your life? Who are you listening to that says, hey, I clearly see it. Can you see it? The great thing about father figures in the faith is that they don't just acknowledge and then let you go off to be in the middle of that junk by yourself, they say, look, I acknowledge this and I see this, but hey, I'm willing to walk with you if you're willing to change. Even though my father wasn't uh, there for me for a lot of those years, right, through high school, and then I went off to college and did my own thing, so for a span of about eight years, uh, there was just no relationship there, just aimlessly trying to figure out life. Um, but I remember telling you guys this. One day, I asked him at the end of, at the end of college, and things were kind of falling apart, and I was looking for some encouragement, uh, probably like David was here. I said, hey, Dad, what do you think about me? And he said, son, I wish you were a little sharper. He said, you're a pothead. You smoke too much. Your brain doesn't work right. And talking to you is like talking to somebody that, that things aren't firing the way that they should be firing. All he said is, I wish you were a little sharper, but I heard all the rest of that. <laughs> But you know what it did for me? It redirected my life. I wasn't saved yet and I didn't know Jesus yet, but I acknowledged that, hey, this person loves me and they're telling me something's wrong. Maybe I should think about it. I expect that from haters, you're just hating. <laughs> but this person loves me and they're telling me that something's wrong and that they wish it was different. So I need to acknowledge that and redirect. Man, I, I pray for many of you that you would find a man or woman of God, a father figure in the faith, and that you talk to them. Don't go at it alone. Don't ignore them. Don't act as if nothing's wrong. God sent Nathan to David. Amen. Think about that. His father in heaven, who we know loves him infinitely, it says that he sent Nathan to be an earthly father figure for him, to help him. The God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loves us infinitely. Right? You've been adopted. You're not a foreigner. You belong in the house of God. He also gave you a biological earthly father that he might use you to minister to and to encourage. But he's also sending earthly father figures to you in the faith that can help you grow. What a great Father's Day we can have. Somebody say amen. 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 Why don't we stand? <clears throat> Thank you.
just want you to bow your heads because I want to ask you a couple of questions and I really want you to understand it's not about what others say or what others think. I just want you to be able to acknowledge what's going on in your heart this morning, acknowledge what's going on in your head without being worried about what's going on in somebody else's heart or what's going on in somebody else's head. So with your heads bowed, just eyes closed. If you're, if you're here this morning and, and you've got some daddy issues, you've been through some things, you've had some experiences with your father in the past that have kind of shaped you and molded you, hardened you maybe in some cases, hurt you in some cases, but you know in your heart this morning that, uh, that you've been affected and that it still affects you today. Maybe things have gotten better or things have been restored. Maybe the relationship has even begun to be rebuilt. But in your heart of hearts, you know that you still are affected in a negative way. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. <clears throat> if you're here this morning and <clears throat> you don't really know an experience the substance of the love of your Father in heaven. You know and you believe the evidence. You're here this morning because you believe that there's a God in heaven who loves you. You believe that he sent his son to, to die for you, to forgive you of your sins. But the reality is you don't know what it's like to actually be swimming in that water, to feel him at the side of your bed every morning and every evening, to see him show up, outside of your school, outside of your workplace, just with gifts for you. You don't know what it's like to just be so excited about his presence, constantly available and around to you. You know it in your mind, but you're not swimming in it this morning. Would you raise your hand? Say, that's me. I know it to be true, but I'm not, I'm not really experiencing the substance of that. Would you raise your hand? Put it up high so I can see you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. <clears throat> so last, last question I want to ask is just about the adoption process. We can never be too sure about what's taking place if we don't know what the qualifications are. If you feel this morning that you've been running to God and you've been asking to be adopted and you've been trying to live in his house and you've been trying to honor him and you've been trying to, to, uh, to be a good new son and a good adopted daughter or adopted son, uh, but you know in your heart that it's not what you thought it would be, I challenge you this morning to think that you need to hear the voice of God saying, I choose you. You don't have to break into this house. You don't have to tell me how worthy of adoption you are. You don't have to show me how much you want to be here with me and how much uh, uh, I'll be blessed by allowing you to be in this house this morning. If you really want to hear the voice of God saying, I choose you, you're destined to be my son. You're destined to be my daughter. The way into that place is through Jesus through a complete and utter surrender of your life to Jesus. Not an awareness of who he is, not a belief that he came to forgive you for your sins, but to make him Lord and Savior of your life, to be able to say, my past is over. All of my hope is in you, Jesus. All of my future is in you, Jesus. Forgive me, not because I deserve it, not because I even want it so bad, but because you're the only one that can Forgive me this morning. Help me this morning. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? You want to surrender to Jesus? Hey Amen. I see you. I see you. I see you guys. He sees you this morning. Mm. It's all that matters. Lord, I want to pray for those precious ones this morning that would give their life to you, Lord. I pray that they would make you not only Savior, but Lord of their lives, Lord that they would ask you what to do and when to do it, where to go and how to go, Lord, how to ask the Father. These are now 
your brothers and now your sisters. They are adopted sons and daughters of the Father. What you do in their hearts and what you do in their lives is supernatural. In communion, you say, Jesus, you told us that unless we eat of your flesh and drink of your blood, we cannot be saved. We cannot be born again. Reason being, Lord, you have to come all the way inside of their lives and take over. As they drink your blood, your blood becomes their blood. They have your DNA. They're not the same as adopted children that cannot be identified with their father, Lord. These new ones, these new sons and daughters carry your blood within their veins in this very moment. And the father recognizes it. The father sees them. The father tells the other brothers and sisters here in this place to pay, prepare room for them, to help them, to sacrifice on their behalf that there may be things that we no longer get. There may be things that we have to sacrifice in order that these new sons and daughters of yours would understand how loved they are, how cared for they are, how unique they are. Lord, help us all to see what happens in your church. The miracle of coming to faith, the miracle of being adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, the miracle of bearing the image of God himself. Don't let us take it lightly, Lord. Don't let us take it for granted, Lord. For those here in this place who have scars from earthly fathers, Lord, I pray that those scars and those pains would be consumed in your love. How perfect you are, how great you are, how amazing you are. Take all those things away from them, Lord, and make them minimal. Make them minimal in their lives from this point forward, Lord. For the good things that the fathers have done, Lord, I pray that you would amplify it, that we would honor them, that we would call them, that we would thank them, that we would muster up the courage to, to humble ourselves and to lift them up, knowing that they have other challenges and weaknesses, Lord. We want to lift them up for the good things that they've done, Lord, and then strengthen us. Give us an ability to talk to our earthly fathers. There's broken relationship. There's a lot of pain here in this place, Lord. There's those who have gone on and even passed on, Lord. Give your sons and daughters here because of your love for us an ability to talk to our earthly fathers. And finally, Lord, give us, give us father figures in the faith. Give us those that would behave as father figures in the faith, to be consistent, to be faithful, to know who you are, to know your voice, to train up the children in the faith, Lord, to be able to hear your voice and to go in the right direction, to be positioned for success and not failure, Lord God, to not withhold from those that come to us, Lord, but to give them everything that we have. Like you said, Paul, Paul said to us, Lord, everything he had, he gave. He didn't withhold anything, Lord. Let the father figures in the faith do the same thing, Lord, not to hold others back for fear of being surpassed, Lord, but to be praying that they would receive a double portion like Elisha did. Lord, we thank you this morning, and we expect to see you throughout the day, to be at lunch with you, Lord, to be at the movies with you, to be hanging with you the rest of the day, Lord, and then to spend some time with you at the foot of our bed tonight. And we can't wait to wake up in the morning and to hear you say to us, good morning, son, good morning, daughter. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs>